Have you ever been involved in writing a mission statement? Maybe it was for your business or for an organization you volunteer with, or maybe it was a personal mission statement or one for your family. Mission statements are important because they communicate who you are. They're the foundation and framework on which you build. They reveal your organization's DNA. And a good mission statement really can become part of your organization's culture because they act as a guiding light for how you'll conduct yourself. While a vision statement communicates who you want to be, a mission statement communicates who you are. A vision statement describes what you hope to achieve, while a mission statement describes why you exist. Let me give you a few examples. I will describe a current mission statement from a well-known company, and you can guess what company that is. And if you're watching with others, just be quiet for a moment until everyone's had a chance to think in their mind about the company, and then you can see if you're right. Here's the first one. Our mission is to entertain, inform, and inspire people around the globe through the power of unparalleled storytelling reflecting the iconic brands, creative minds, and innovative technologies that makes ours the world's premier entertainment company. Now that's a mouthful. Who do you think that mission statement belongs to? The answer is Disney. Here's another one, and it's a little more concise. To accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. That's the mission statement from Tesla. A third one that might be a little more challenging. Our mission is to, con to connect the world's professionals to make them more productive and successful. That's from LinkedIn. Here's one that was in the news this week. Our mission is to build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm, use business to inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. That's the mission statement of Patagonia. And finally, here's one that we all should get. To offer a wide range of well-designed, functional home furnishing products at prices so low that as many people as possible will be able to afford them. That's from Ikea. You can afford them, but it will stress you out putting them together. As the people of God, we have a mission as well. And it comes way back in the book of Deuteronomy. That's where the mission was first revealed. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This was the central command of Judaism. They lived in a world that was polytheistic, where people followed many gods. But in contrast to the popular culture of the day, this teaching declared that there was one God. And he was not an idol. He was not a tribal God. He was the creator and Lord over everything. And then it goes on to describe the mission. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Everything unfolds from this. As a mission statement, the Shema, as it is called, had the power to direct everything they did and how they lived. When Jesus the rabbi came along, someone asked him one time, what is the central commandment? And so, of course, he cites this one. But he adds to the statement from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. 
and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then fusing these two statements together as one mission, Jesus says, there is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus said, this is your central calling. Love the Lord with everything you've got. Don't hold anything back. Your entire life should be a gift of love to God. And that love for God will be evidence in the way that you relate to and love the people that God has placed around you. Last week, we started to unpack the words of Jesus and ponder what does it mean to love God with all your heart? And today we come to the second part, loving God with all of our soul. People don't talk a lot about the soul these days beyond the cultural idioms in our language. We say things like, God rest their soul, or I won't tell a soul, or confession is good for the soul. We might describe someone as a kind soul or a living soul or even a lost soul. When someone talks about what's going on deep inside of them, it's, we say that they are bearing their soul. But what is the soul? Our English word for soul comes from the Greek word psyche, which is where we derive psychology, the scientific study of mind and behavior. From a theological perspective, J.I. Packer writes, your soul is your conscious personal self, the I that knows itself as me. In other words, your soul is the identity that makes you who you really are. It is the seat of your memory, your feelings, your imagination, your character and convictions. Author Dallas Willard adds, your soul is not just something that lives on after your body dies. It is the most important part of you. It is your life. John Ortberg expands on this and he says, when we talk about the word soul, what we're really talking about is the inward you. It is the deepest, most significant, most important part of you. It is the private world of your thought life. It's your character. It's those things that nobody else sees, but God sees. It's the part of you that most longs to be connected to God. It is what you will take into eternity. It is who you will be for eternity. Your soul is what most defines your life. And what Jesus is saying here is, I want what is most significant about you. What I'm after is the most important part of you. I'm not after behavior modification or rule following or an outward appearance of holiness. What I want most, Jesus said, is for your soul to be marked by a sold-out love for God. And this gets to the heart of who we are and why we exist as Christians and as a church. And that's simply to help people love God with all their soul, to love God more and more, to love God with all that you are. And if you're going to do that, then you're going to need to value the soul and guard the soul so that you can love God with all your soul. Let's start with the value of the soul. Your soul is of incredible value, and here's why. Your soul is created in you by God. Grasping this is of huge importance in knowing who you are and why your life is of such great value. In Genesis chapter two, we have the creation account, and we see here that Adam, the first human, was created in two stages. It was a two-step process by which God gave him life. In the first, God created and formed a body and it was made from the dust of the ground. Now in this way, 
humans are similar to animals. In Genesis 2.19 we read, Now out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. We share this in common with the animal world. Like them, God made us. And that is why it says in Genesis 3.19, From dust you are and to dust you will return. When we die, that is precisely what happens to us with regard to the body. But there is a second stage to creation when it comes to Adam, which shows us why we are different than the rest of the created order. Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God breathes life into Adam and he becomes a living soul. A soul that's capable of knowing God, serving God, enjoying God, and yes, capable of sinning against God. Adam has a soul and you have a soul. Psalm 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God, knit together by God in our mother's womb. Your soul was given to you by God and it gives you the capacity to know God and to relate to him. And that is at the heart of what it means to be created in the image of God. God has breathed life into you and that life will never end. Second, your soul is the source of all you will do. The soul is what motivates you. It's what inspires you and directs your will. It shapes your character, guides your choices, determines your actions. What is conceived in the soul is accomplished in the mind and in the body. All that is achieved in life, everything you do in the world will arise from the life of the soul. Your greatest ideas, your deepest longings, your utmost desires, and your biggest dreams all come from the soul. And when you choose to sin, that comes from the soul too. When lust gets into your soul, it will lead you towards sexual temptation. When anger takes root in the soul, it opens up your heart to bitterness and rage. When laziness is in the soul, it will keep the body from following through on your responsibilities. And when pride makes its home in your soul, you will fall to the greatest temptation of all, which is to push God out of the center and to crown yourself as the Lord of your life. Sin begins in the soul. The problem is not out there. It's in here. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7 that from within a person comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, idolatry. All these evil things come from your soul. What sticks in your soul gets lived out in your life. Pastor Colin Smith offers this illustration. If your soul was really pure, then when temptation comes along, it would be like a fried egg on a Teflon pan. It would slide right off. You may think to yourself, well, you know, my temptations come from my body or from my circumstances or from the people around me or maybe even from the devil. But the real problem lies in the soul. For better or for worse, your soul is the source of all that you will do. Third, your soul is valuable because your soul will last forever. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, for they cannot kill the soul. Your life had a beginning, but it does not have an end. One day, your body will die and be laid in the ground, 
but your soul will live forever. Your soul has an endless life and that's why it is so valuable and important. Some of you are trying to decide if you're going to follow Christ, knowing how costly it is. You need to know what's at stake. If you cling only to this life, in the end, you will lose it, Jesus says. But if you lose your life to me, you will save it. American evangelist D.L. Moody once said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher. That is all. Out of this old clay tentament into a house that is immortal. In Luke 16, Jesus tells the story of a poor man who died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And in the story, there's also a rich man who dies and ends up in Hades in torment. And he looks up and he sees Abraham far off and the poor man at his side. Now both men have died. Their bodies were buried on their earth, but their souls had an eternal destiny. And the point is very simple. Death takes life from the body, but not from the soul. When you die, your soul goes to one of two places. One is a place of great joy in the presence of God. The other, according to Jesus, is a place of great torment because it is away from the presence of God. And there is a gulf fixed between them. You can't get from one side to the other no matter which direction you go. So there is a heaven to pursue and a hell to avoid. Your soul can be saved and your soul can be lost. To save your soul is the greatest joy and to lose your soul is the ultimate disaster because the soul will last forever. That's why Jesus says in Mark 8, 36, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Salvation of the soul is found through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in God's grace, receiving God's mercy and surrendering to God's lordship. It's saying, yes, God, I want to live in your presence here and now and for eternity. Your soul is of great value. It was created in you by God. It is the source of all you do and it will last forever. And that is why you need to guard the soul. We take care of those things that you value. Think about when you make a new purchase of some sort. Maybe it's a new phone or a new car or a new whatever. For that first little while, you guard it so carefully. You don't want to get a scratch on it. You protect it from the weather. You make sure you don't lose it. You put it in a safe place. Someone on our staff recently purchased a new car and they intentionally park the car each day at the far end of the parking lot because they don't want it to get hit. And sometimes I'm tempted to go and park right beside it, but I don't because we guard that which we value. Well, we've already seen that there's nothing more important and valuable than our souls. That's why we need to hear the warning of Joshua 23. Now vigilantly guard your souls. Love God, your God. The context of this verse is that the people of God have just come into the promised land. They have been saved from slavery and from a purposeless life wandering. 
But now there are many temptations they are facing, many forces that would battle for their soul. So Joshua tells them to be vigilant, to be alert, to be ready, to guard your soul so that you might love God with all you've got. And there's a battle waging for your soul today as well. It isn't just a matter of being saved or unsaved. John Ortberg in his excellent book, Soul Keeping, writes, your soul's health is the hinge on which the rest of your life hangs. It's the difference between deep satisfying spirituality and a restless dispassionate faith. In an age of materialism and consumerism that tries to buy its way to happiness, many souls are starved and, alt and unhealthy, unsatisfied by false promises of status and wealth. We have neglected this eternal part of ourselves, focusing instead on the temporal concerns of the world and not without consequence. So how do you guard your soul? Let me give you some suggestions that flow right out of the Bible. And the first one is this, calm your soul. Pursue silence and prayer. This is such a hard one for us because we live in a noisy world and we have busy hands, busy minds, and busy hearts. And even when we have time away, we just jam our downtime with activity and with noise. And yet God invites us to live differently. In Isaiah 30, 15, God says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Do you see the tension? Do you see the pull? King David found God's heart and he grew deep in his faith through silence and prayer. And that's why he writes in Psalm 131 too, I have calmed and quieted my soul. But it was even a battle and a choice for David. In Psalm 62, he's actually commanding himself, my soul be quiet before God. From him comes my hope. He alone is my rock, my deliverance, and my high tower. Nothing will shake me. Perhaps the most godly thing you could do this week is to set aside time to be quiet and still and just sit in God's presence. Or maybe go for a walk and take no music, no devices. Just walk in silence with God and listen. So we calm our soul and pursue silence and prayer. Second, nourish your soul. Feed on biblical teaching and meditation. I think Ortberg is right. So many Christians are spiritually starving. Our souls are malnourished because we're not feeding on God's word. In 1 Peter 2.2 it says, Like newborn babies long the pure milk of the word. So by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Bread sustains your body. The word of God sustains your soul. Our souls need constant nourishment. So there are more ways to feast. So the more ways you can feast on God's word, the better. So simply read the Bible. Push through the boredom and busyness that keeps you away and develop a pattern and a rhythm and an appetite to feast on God's word. If you're not a reader, listen to it. There are some great apps you can download to help you with this. You could also study the Bible for yourself. God doesn't want to keep his word a mystery to you. He longs for you to know it and to understand it. It is his primary means of communicating to you. Memorize scripture. 
Now you may think I can't memorize, but you can. Just keep it simple and take your time and take it one verse at a time. Just meditate on that verse. Allow it to penetrate into your soul. Turn it over again and again in your mind and pray it back to God. Seek out godly teaching that motivates and challenges you in your faith. Get into God's word and get God's word into you. Third, cleanse your soul through self-denial and confession. This one is hard. But if your soul really is the source of everything you do with your life, then it makes sense that you should take care of it and keep it clean. The Nile River is the longest flowing river in Africa and the second largest longest in the entire world. And for centuries, millions of people have benefited from it, relied on it for fresh water. It is what they use for, for food, for water, for transportation, agriculture, fishing, and now tourism. But despite its importance, the Nile is heavily polluted. A number of years ago, a group of us were in Cairo and we were able to have the privilege of sailing on the Nile in these little sailboats. And it was beautiful and fun. And I thought that was as close as I could ever come to being like Moses floating on the Nile. But later that day, as we drove back to our hotel, we drove along the edge of the river a little further downstream. And to our disgust, we saw a garbage truck backed up to the edge of the water, dumping waste right into the river. What I found out later was that the entire lower Nile is polluted with wastewater and rubbish and agricultural runoff and industrial waste. And it has devastated everything around it and impacted everyone who lives near it. And the way that filth pollutes a river and impacts life downstream is the same way, same way that sin pollutes the soul and impacts every aspect of your life. And the way you guard your soul from being contaminated is through self-denial and confession. In Mark 8:34, it says, Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. To deny oneself means to set aside all self-promotion self-centeredness and self-improving ambitions. In other words, you take your soul, the totality of your being, and you refuse to allow self to set the agenda. Denying self is, is not the same as giving up all the delights in life. It's not about denying yourself food or denying yourself a holiday or finances. Denying of self is opening ourselves up to God's initiatives and surrendering to God's control. It's opening up our body, our heads, our hands, our feet to God's initiative. It's opening up our own individualism, our desires, our character, our will to the initiative of God. Denial of self affirms the call of God in our lives and is in submission to that call in every way, even when it's inconvenient and hard. For those who are proud, it means discarding the need for status and for honor. For those who are hurt, it means willing to go through a process, a godly process, to release the offense. For those who are complacent, it means abandoning, taking the easy way. For those who are indulgent or addicted, it means getting help to stop or to limit consumption. 
For those who are aggressive, it means controlling the urge to escalate and the demand for your way. If you begin to practice self-denial, it will transform your soul and revolutionize your life. Denying oneself is how you guard your soul so that we can love God with all we've got. And when you fail, and you will, you confess. You come to God, you surrender to his love, and you admit that those tendencies are within you. And then you ask God in his grace and power to remove them, redeem them, and redirect them. Peter gives us this warning, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Cleanse your soul through self-denial and confession so that you might live differently and free. Finally, fill your soul with praise and glory. This is about putting God at the center of your life. And this is one of the reasons we gather for worship, to declare who God is. Psalm 103, one says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. When she was told that she would become the mother of God, she sang a song, and it starts, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Here is Mary, about to change history, and she's thinking, Magnify God, bless the Lord, her soul rejoices in God. And if you want to guard the soul, fill it with praise. Fill it with worship, with songs and prayers and thoughts that acknowledge the goodness and the presence of God in your life every day. And we finish with that word glory. It's a Hebrew word that simply means heaviness or weight. It was used in everyday speech in a way that expressed the importance, the greatness, the, the splendor, the power, or so on, of a particular thing. And what it means in the context of our faith is that we're saying, you are first God. You are the first priority. You have the heaviest weight in my life. It means in response to all your greatness, I surrender. Oh God, I surrender all to you. I take up my cross, I follow you. I know that you're looking, um, you're not looking for fans or seat warmers or part-time volunteers or those who just wanna make modest adjustments. You're looking for those who are all in, who are followers, who are committed with you, who, to you and who will love you with all their soul. And we're saying, that's me, count me in. I want to finish with one last mission statement for you. And here it is. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love him completely and others sacrificially. That's the mission statement that flows right out of the great commandment of Jesus. And it's our mission here at Compass. And I pray that it's your mission too as a follower of Jesus and not just a fan because a mission statement communicates who you are and why you exist. It's the foundation and framework on which you build your life. Build it on this commitment to love God with all your soul. Let's pray together. Oh Jesus, we pray the words of the song 
All to Jesus I surrender. All to thee I freely give. I will ever love and trust you. In your presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Amen.